Welcome. Glad you've chosen to join us at FX Church for our podcast. We are in week two of our summer series in the book of Joshua. The series is titled Inheritance. Inheritance is a word used in the book of Joshua over and over again because God's people have been waiting 600 years for the promised inheritance that was given to Abraham. They lived in slavery for 400 of those years, and they've been wandering in a desert for the last 40 years, clinging to the promise of an inheritance many of them would not even see in their lifetime, and all those that went before them never saw, all while being told to be strong and courageous. And so the question really for us is, would we still believe and lead others to believe in the God of the Bible, His name being Yahweh, and Yahweh who saves, and His promised inheritance if it took that long? And that's kind of where we find ourselves even today in modern Christianity, that Jesus says that he came to give us an eternal inheritance, an inheritance that would be eternal and would someday come back to earth. But do we really believe that as Christians? Or is that just something we like to slap onto the end of the life that we want and the way that we want to live? And so this week, we want to tune into the book of Joshua. We're going to drop into the second chapter of Joshua. And where we left off last week, we've kind of dropped into this special ops mission in chapter two, where these two spies are going to cross the Jordan River during flood stage. And they're going to go in and scout out and try to get into the major city and check it out and then bring a report back to God's people on on what the next step is and what they saw. And what's crazy we saw and we'll see this week, is that these spies choose to to stay in some really unlikely places with some unlikely people. And we've got to ask some questions why they chose to do that. And it's a crazy story that, quite honestly, nobody would believe if it weren't for the fact that God was the one that did it. It just shows all the way through the book of Joshua how if God isn't the one doing it, it's not going to happen. And that God's people and our wisdom doesn't really work sometimes, that we've got to trust Him in the midst of what He's calling us to do. And, you know, we dropped into to Joshua 1.6 in the first chapter last week, and in 1.6 is kind of the theme of the book. It says, be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. And so Joshua's told to be strong and courageous. He's the one that's going to distribute the promise inheritance that was given to Abraham. And you know, right now we've talked about this and we'll continue to in this series, but God is really doing battle with our version of what our promised land should look like. You know, in the United States, we've kind of had this mentality that we can create a utopia. We can create a promised land for ourselves and that that we can be a great nation. And the reality is just like God's people recognize that if, if God wasn't building it, there couldn't be anything worth building. We're seeing riots break out in our country. Seeing things seem like a mess. And we've seen this before. This has happened over other issues, but there are a range of emotions and a lot of fear and panic that is playing out right now. And people clinging to promises and beliefs that are just so opposed to one another and so different that we don't know what is true. What really is a true promise? What really is fear and confidence, and we're struggling. And there's a frustration over the lack of resources and and how we're not getting what we think we should get. And you know, the reality is the Bible tells us we live in a world that leaves us empty. 
Things are going to run out. And when those things run out, there are hard decisions that have to be made. However, the Bible also says that our God is an unlimited God in his resources and that someday he will bring a new earth with unlimited resources. And he will bring us what he wants us to have and we will be grateful for it instead of what we think we deserve. And so if you remember, Joshua, the name means Yahweh saves. Joshua is actually the name Jesus. And so Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's Yeshua. And as we look at our world right now, people are wondering who will save us. We've elected back-to-back presidents on opposite sides of the political aisle because we're wondering, can one of them save us from ourselves and the mess that we've created? And we're finding out they can't. And I think it's because God is trying to get us to see that he wants us to be strong and courageous in him and believe him for his promised inheritance that he has given. And you know, it's the already but not yet for us as believers, that we already have this relationship with God, this inheritance that he's given us to know him through what Jesus did on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit that enters the believer, but it's not yet. We don't fully know him yet. And because of that tension, it leads to a lot of panic and it leads to a question of whether we're going to be strong and courageous to depend on God's promise. And so that's what we're looking at today. Today's title for this series or for this message is Panic and Promise. Panic and Promise. You see, we've been taught to recognize promises, the Declaration of Independence, the the promises of God, promises that other people have made, our employers and marriages and all across. But, But then we also have been taught to make decisions in light of our emotions instead of allowing those promises to drive our decisions. And so instead of recognizing emotion and then making a decision to live by the truth of the promise and struggle with that, we just run after the emotion and then get mad and frustrated that the promise isn't happening. And we live this disconnected, disjointed life. And then eventually it leads to a place where we just say we can't take this anymore. And we decide to chase after what we think we deserve and the promises that we think are our And we don't really care about the requirements of the promise or the covenant or the agreement that was made. And, you know, right now we celebrate Shabbat. We we celebrate the, the, the festival of first fruits and Shabbat that was celebrated all the way back in this time period that Moses gave them orders for how to celebrate this festival in the book of Deuteronomy. And right now is the time of year that for For thousands of years, God's people have celebrated this idea of of the first fruits that after Passover and the forgiveness of their sins, right, and the scapegoat and their sins being taken away, they were to give celebration. They were to take, bring in the first fruits uh, of the harvest and wave those before God and thank him for those fruits to prepare for the final day when God would bring his full fruit into his storehouse and and fulfill his full promise. But right now we're proclaiming the temporary promise that he's good to us. And the Torah was given by God to the Jewish people. The Torah being the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the law was given by God to his people on Mount Sinai by Moses. And that was when they celebrated the first Shavuot, 
the first promises that were given. These are the promises I make to you. And they were a fulfillment of earlier promises that God gave, not new ones that negated the old promise, but new ones that clarified and fulfilled and gave even better promises. And you know what? When we find God's people in the book of Exodus before Mount Sinai, Moses is on the mountain, they panic. And in the midst of their panic, they build a golden calf, they build an idol, They couldn't believe the promise that Moses gave to wait and that God said to wait. And they saw with their own eyes the the problems and the panic. And so then they ended up getting Aaron, their leader, to make them a golden calf and and to try to create the promise they wanted in their own strength. When God all along had been telling Pharaoh and people, just let my people worship me. Let them be free to worship me. And these scriptures that we have have been preserved for thousands of years because God wants us to know his precious promises and not make golden calves and idols and other things, but to truly trust that he is the Yahweh who saves. He is the ultimate Joshua. That's what he asks us to do. But the question we have to deal with today is, will we live in the panic or will we live in the promises? Will we act on the promises of God or will we act in panic? Because that's the question that God gives to all of us. Even Jesus himself said it's okay to get angry. We're seeing a lot of anger in our culture right now. But Jesus himself said, in your anger, just don't sin. In the midst of your anger that causes you to have all kinds of emotions, don't sin. Trust the promises of God, even though it doesn't make sense. And so we drop in to Joshua. And as we look back at Joshua 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant. We talked about last week, when you lose your leader after 40 years, who had done these miracles and been a great leader for you, and a man that the Bible says was face-to-face with God, there would have been a lot of emotions at this time. And as we wrap up chapter 1, and Joshua is getting ready to, to lead the people to to their promised land, there are those that that cry out that say uh, in verse 16 of chapter one, they answered Joshua when he gave them the promises. And he said, here's what's going to be required of you because of this promise. They answered Joshua and said, everything you've commanded us, we will do. And everything you send, everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses and everything. And may the Lord, your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you commanded him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. I think it's interesting here that their answer says that may your God be with you. They don't say our God. It's almost like there's a disconnect, I think, sometimes that that, that we look to the leaders to be our saviors, the Joshua's, the Moses, our pastors, instead of recognizing that God has called us together to worship Him, to know Him. And yes, we, we willingly submit to one another out of a, of a love for Him, but we, we encourage one another to be strong and courageous together. And they agree to the promise that Joshua lays out in this moment. And they recognize what's coming. And man, it takes strength and courage to believe in the midst of very little benefit. We jump into Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this, Joshua, son of Nun, that's just his reference, that's his father, the son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, that's where they were staying, 
saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. That's one of the main Canaanite cities. The first one they're going to encounter when they go into the promised land. And so it says, so they left and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. Now, I want you to think about the fact that this, these two guys, one of them might be your husband. Maybe you're a military leader and you sent your man out. This might be your son. Think about the fact that you're a young man. You're, you're free from being around the family that you've been wandering with for 40 years. And for the first time, you're out on your own mission. You're out alone. And you make the choice to go to a prostitute's house. How many of us would be okay with that decision? I mean, when you read this story, it's, and when you read Scripture, it's almost comical because God just lays out Scripture to this place where it's just obvious that either he's in this or, or this is the biggest disaster we're getting ready to walk into ever. And so here these young spies are, and when they're spying out the land, they go into Jericho and they choose the way into Jericho through this woman. Why her? Why not someone else? Why not some leader that you go to that, that you know, the king of the city and walk in and say, hey, we're from far off. And no, these guys go to Rahab's house. And, and let me tell you, the name Rahab means wide or large, to become wide or large. That is not an enduring, like flattering name. She was either a large woman which in that day, maybe that's what beauty was. Like when you look back at some of the pictures in the Middle Ages, being a voluptuous woman showed a sign of wealth and prestige and, and taking care of versus being a skinny woman who didn't have enough to eat. And those standards change. Beauty standards always change in cultures. What's beautiful today to the world may not be beautiful tomorrow. We can't chase a beauty that isn't from the heart, but that's an outward beauty. We have to chase what's truly beautiful in the heart. And so Rahab is called a woman who's wide or large. Number one, she may have been physically wide or large. Number two, she's called a prostitute or a whore, which that would be derogatory to say she's a wide woman. She just sleeps and goes with anybody. Also, you have to recognize that in this culture, a prostitute, especially Rahab, if they're called wide or large, could have meant that she was a priestess who had wide and large influence because of the Canaanite gods and how their fertility worked and how men would sleep with women so that their crops would grow. And so Rahab, we don't know why, but for some reason, maybe she was a woman of influence. Or, or, but, but anyway, this is not like this positive, wonderful term. She obviously doesn't have a husband, we find out later, that she's a a woman that's trying to figure out how to survive in a society when she has no male heir. And in the Canaanite world, if you didn't have a male heir, then there was nothing for you. You were done when you were dead. And so how do I care for my extended family when, when no one cares? And so she was probably forced into this to try to survive and just make it in life. And these men end up here. Isn't it interesting how God will so often 
send his people to the most unlikely places and to the most unlikely people so that God can show how incredibly good he is in the midst of people's panic at keeping his promises. And that's exactly what he's doing in this story. And it's amazing. We go on and in verse two, it says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. You see, this would have caused panic for Rahab to bring these men into her home, and then to have the king of Jericho, one of the strongest cities in the Canaanite empire, with double walls. This city had an outer wall, and then people lived on the inside of that outer wall, and then a second inner wall for protection. This was an amazingly well-protected and guarded city. And so to receive a message from the king to say, hey, I know these guys are staying with you and you recognizing the panic of, oh no, he knows. What am I going to do? And then for Rahab to respond the way she does, she actually lies, which we're going to see in just a minute. She doesn't tell the truth. She tells them that the men left, but in reality, she has hidden the men. And she said, yeah, they did come, but they left. Listen, Lying is never condoned in Scripture. God never says that we should lie. He tells us to be truth-tellers. At this point, Rahab hasn't even admitted that she was a believer, so it's hard for us, and it should be understandable for us to not put the expectations of walking with God and doing godly things on someone who has not proclaimed allegiance to God. If they don't know Him, if they don't have the power living within them to obey Him, then we shouldn't expect them to have to obey. Does that mean we just let them disobey? No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that we should have this expectation that they should live for God if they haven't tried to acknowledge that he exists and live for him. And scripture isn't describing this as a prescription. It's not like I read this and say, okay, if I have people come over and they ask if someone's here, then my job is to lie, to deceive. No, this isn't a prescription. God is giving a true description of what happened in this story of what he did. And you know, Rahab was probably a good liar. I'm sure there were people that asked her often, hey, did my husband come to you? Did this person come and sleep with you? And she had to learn how to manipulate and lie to stay alive and to keep her life together. Again, not saying it's good, just the reality of the messed up world that we're in. And in the midst of Rahab's panic, she didn't out these men of God. She chose to protect God's man over protecting herself. And you know, the scriptures say in Proverbs 31.30 that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And we're going to find out for a minute that even though Rahab may have been considered a beautiful woman and a successful prostitute that men came to and wanted We recognize that she didn't trust in her prostitution or her beauty or her influence. She wanted to be done with it because she was a woman who had fear of God. 
You see, you move on in verse six and it says this, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Now, it's interesting that it says it was the flax harvest. This is the first of the first fruits. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that Joshua, when they start to go into the promised land, they celebrate the Passover. And then after the Passover, they would start to bring in the harvest, the flax and the other things, and and the flax would have been cut, it would have been drying, and then once that flax is done, you bring it and you make your offering. So this all fits perfectly with this idea of what God's doing to, to show His people His faithfulness. He's getting ready to have them cross the Jordan River, just like they crossed the Red Sea. He's getting ready to celebrate Passover, which is Him passing over their death, and we'll see that in a minute. God is trying to show them that he's doing things and they can trust his promises like before. And if there's ever been a time when we should at this moment in this season of Shabbat, the remembering of Pentecost and the sending of his Holy Spirit, and that God is taking care of us and that we have a promise that's coming, now is the time that we can remember that God's promises are true and good and that he is with us. He has sent his spirit, that we are his first fruits We are the ones that he has saved so that we can go out into the world and plant new seeds. We can be the seeds that go out to bring in more. And that's exactly what happens here. And they shut the gates. You have to remember, they shut the gates at night because you didn't have electricity in these days. At nighttime, it was scary and dark. And to keep the lights on was expensive to have the oil and the different things they needed to use to keep lights on. And so they locked their city tight at night. But these men are there hiding out, not knowing. Can you imagine the panic for these men and trusting God's promises in the midst of their panic and the panic for Rahab and trying to trust what she's been walked into in this moment. And then we get the most beautiful glimpse of the heart of this non-Jew Canaanite woman. In verse eight of Joshua two, it says, before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, look at this, I know, listen, that's a term of promise. I know the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord, how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan over on the other side of the river. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And this would have been a term. She would have said, Yahweh, your El is El in heaven and above the earth. And El was one of the major Canaanite gods. He was the deity. And she's saying here, I don't believe in El. I don't believe in my history of religion. I don't believe in what my people have worshiped. I'm done with all of that. I truly believe that your God is the great I am and there is none like him. Wow. She believed the promise 
that was given all the way to Abraham. She had obviously studied the story and remembered it. She could give the examples because she was looking for a way to be saved, a way out of the mess that she was in. And when she heard about this God who who brought judgment, she was looking for a God that would actually do justice, not a God that would just give a pass. And she looks at this God, she looks at Yahweh and says, He's he's the real deal. And she even says, we all know that there's something special about him. But see, just knowing about him can cause us to panic. The question is, will we surrender to him and to his promises? And Rahab is getting ready to do that. The rest of the city of Jericho will not do that. Goes on and it says this. Verse 12. Now, please swear to me, Rahab says, by Yahweh, that you will also show kindness to my family because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brother, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. Man, look at Rahab's heart. Rahab's heart is not for herself. She obviously doesn't have any of her own children. She's probably without a husband because he's not mentioned here. And she is concerned not for herself and for what she can get and for claiming the promises for her. She is more concerned about those that she loves and has served and given her life to. What a heart. What an amazing heart. And in verse 14, it says, the men answered her. Look at how they answered. We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when Yahweh gives us the land. Man, and their response is one of incredible faith and not panic. They're not panicking and saying, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. They look and they go, no, we believe the promise that, 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 he is, that God is going to give us the land he promised. We are ready. We've been wandering for 40 years. We've watched people die off. And we believe that he's coming back. He's going to be with us and he's going to lead us. And here's the key. In this moment, the Jericho people, the people of Jericho, the Canaanites, they could have, they had other options than to be slaughtered. And God, we're going to see, says, you're going to be slaughtered. They could have repented like Rahab. They could have said, we repent. Your God is God. We eliminate all of our idols. We surrender. They could have left their land and opened up their city and let Israel had it and run off and gave the land to Israel. They had three different options to either surrender to Yahweh, give up their land, which was rightfully declared by Yahweh, or the third option, fight and die. Not do either of the first two and suffer the consequences of the promise that God made. You see, God's promises are true, and sometimes His promises have great consequences, consequences of blessing and consequences of judgment. And and Rahab understands that, and she looks and she says, please spare me. And the men answer, just like Jesus does for us. He says, I'll give my life for yours. The Bible says, no greater love does a man have than this, that he gives his life for his friends. These guys are like, we'll be sure because of what you've done, that you didn't try to out us. We, we didn't come here to use you. you. You're allowing us and you believe the promises that have been given. I mean, this is such a God thing. You can't make this kind of stuff happen. There's no way to make a military plan for this. And then we find out later the way they take Jericho, they don't even do anything militarily. They just march around the city a few times and they scream, the walls fall and they walk in. 
I mean, it is amazing. And he says, the Lord is going to give us the land. In other words, we're not smart enough to figure this out. We're not going to come in here with this big, strong army and we're going to take it. No, we just believe that God will give his promises, that he is the Lord. Goes on to say this in verse 15 in Joshua 2. It says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. I think it's interesting. It's three days. Jesus was crucified. He was in the grave three days and then came back to life and went out and and made himself known until the day of Pentecost when he, or Shabbat, when he ascended or right before that, he ascended right before the day of Shabbat into heaven and sent back his Holy Spirit, sent back his truth and his word. And so she says, go hide yourself for three days, bury yourself, and then go out ready for your God. And isn't it interesting? She lowers them by a rope and she lives in between the walls. Don't forget that. Rahab is a woman that that lives in between worlds. The world that's attacking and the world of Jericho that says that that she can trust him. She's she's a woman caught between two worlds, just like we are. She's she's caught in this mess. I mean, she even has a, a house in the walls, which means she's gonna be the first home probably taken over if there's ever an attack before they get to the second wall. She's not allowed to go into the inner wall. And yet she says, I believe your God and I'm willing to serve you as now my brothers. I lower you down. And look at what these men respond in verse 17. It says, the men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made to us or you made us swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. And if you report our mission, we are free from this oath you made us swear. And she says... Amen. Or let it be as you say, or thy will be done, she replied. And she sent them on their way, or sent them away. And they had gone, after they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. Look at Rahab's faith. She lowers them down from this scarlet cord and lets them escape. And then they tell her, tie this outside the window. Listen, if you remember in Egypt, When the Passover came, the 10th plague, God did everything he could, just like he's doing here with Jericho, to put fear in the heart of Pharaoh, that that Pharaoh would repent. And Pharaoh's heart just kept getting harder and harder and harder until the point where God said, I'm going to have to take out your firstborn sons in Egypt because the firstborn sons were the sons of promise. And Pharaoh believed his son was actually a God. And when God took all the other nine gods, the flies, the, the cows, the Nile was considered a God, he finally got to the final God And he said, I'm going to take all the firstborn males. And he told the people of Israel to sacrifice a lamb, to put the blood over the doorpost and to keep your firstborn in your house. Because when the angel of death passes through, you will be spared if you put the blood 
cover yourself with the blood. Here again is the symbolism. If you take this scarlet cord, this red cord that symbols the blood, the sacrifice you were willing to shed, Rahab, the, the, the sacrifice that our God shed, if you, if you hang that out your window, people will see it. We can say that's someone who's waiting for the angel of death to pass over her home. And anyone who stays in your home, our God will, will spare. This is such a great imagery. And then Rahab obeys. She leaves the scarlet cord outside her window. Why? Because she is believing the promise. She acts in obedience. She doesn't say, oh, yeah, 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 great. I'll get to that later. I'll I'll do that at some point. No, she takes seriously the promises of God, and she takes seriously the promises of these two men who represent God. And we as Christians need to be real careful, as Jesus says, what we give our yes be yes and our no be no to, because the Bible says anything else is sin. We need to be very careful with that. And he says here, after they had gone, she tied it to the window. She was obedient. And then, can you imagine? Rahab had to try to convince her family that she wasn't crazy. She had to try to convince her family of pagan religious believers, that their El and their Asherah and their Baal and their other gods were not the real gods, but that Yahweh was the true God. She had to figure out how to do that without revealing the mission. She she had to figure out how to take that risk to bring her family into the household. Maybe she just told them there's going to be a fight. And when it breaks out, you you need to run to my house. I don't know. But what's amazing is God is trying to show us in this passage that he desires that none would perish, the New Testament says, but all would come to repentance. It's not just for the Jews he's saving. It is offered to this Canaanite prostitute. It is offered to this Canaanite family to be saved, to, to know that Yahweh saves if only they'll listen and believe the promise that this land and this city that they're in is God's. See, it's the same for us. So in verse 22, it says this, So the two men went to the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. Now, isn't this amazing? These two spies, right? These two spies listen to a female Canaanite prostitute. They are willing to submit to her plan when she tells them, I'm going to lower you down. Listen, they had to be panicked. Is she trading us? Are we going to run out? And there's going to be an army there. Like, yeah, she hit us in the flax, but is this a, is this a ruse? Is she, is she extorting us for money? Is she, you know, this is, this is like Panicville in all of these situations for Rahab, her family, these spies. There's, there's a sense of panic, and the question, and that's the way our lives are. There's going to be some kind of panic, some kind of problem that continues to come in our life. The, pro, the issue is, will we trust the promises? And these men said, you know, we trusted God, and He protected us. This woman protected us, and, and so we've got to trust. We've, we've got to put ourselves out there, and they listened to her. And then it says, they stayed there three days. They searched all along the way, but they did not find them. Then the man returned came down from the hill country and crossed back over the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. So they actually went to Yahweh who saves, is what Joshua means. They went to him and they reported, hey, look at everything God has done. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. If we know Jesus and the promises that he has given and the fact that he was our Passover and his blood covered over us, if we understand all those truths, then we should be excited to bring what happened to us to him, good or bad. 
that we just want to tell him, this is what God did, and we're excited about it. It was scary, and we didn't know what to do. We were panicked. But man, God's promises are true, and here's how we're going to trust in him. And that's exactly what they do. And so they told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in this land is also panicking because of us. These guys are trusting the word of a prostitute. These guys are trusting that this is really, I mean, they're saying God is working this out. And it's not because they're in good with the king or they had a a meeting with the mayor and it all worked out of the city. No, they're saying we're seeing lives change. We're watching Canaanite prostitutes and their families stop following Baal and believe in us. And, And we're seeing the panic because the king came to Rahab's house very concerned about us, two little lowly Jewish spies. And now they believe, unlike the 12 spies that were sent in earlier in Exodus, when Moses was looking to go into the promised land, a 10 brought back a bad report and there was rebellion among the people and it was Joshua and Caleb. They were the two spies that went into the promised land and brought a good report and said, the land is ours, let's take it. And nobody listened to them. And now it's only Joshua and Caleb at this point that are still alive out of that previous generation that had to wander in their mistakes and their consequences for 40 years. And now these two young men, knowing Joshua and Caleb's story, watching their parents die in the wilderness are saying, we're not going to live in captivity. We're not going to live wandering anymore. We're going to live for the promise of God and we're going for it. We believe and everybody's panicked and we're not. Listen, we need to understand. We need to understand that while the world is panicking, we don't have to be. We have the promises of God and his word. We can trust him and their precious promises that he's given to us. In verse 22, it says, um, or I'm, so that finishes chapter one. And so you fast forward to chapters three, four, and five. And, and what happens is Joshua and the people cross the Jericho River. They go into, begin to go into the promised land. They actually celebrate the Passover. They do circumcision because nobody who's wandered for 40 years does circum, has been circumcised. And they do that as a covenant to God. It, And that's not what you do before you go into military battle is to injure all of your warriors. That's not a good strategy for war. But see, they're trusting God's promises, not their own strength. And so then they go and they take Jericho. They march around the city. And on the seventh day, they blow the trumpets and they scream, the walls fall and they go in. And now we pick the story back up about Rahab in chapter 6 of Joshua. We'll go back to three, four, and five in the next couple of weeks. But in 622, it says this, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her, just as you promised her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. Listen, there's going to come a day, Jesus says, when he's going to come back, when he establishes the new world and and he, he brings a new earth, a perfect earth, a paradise. And he says that the tribes, the 12 tribes, the, the, the tribes will be settled in their land, but the rest of the world is for all the others that were the fruit of the faithfulness of his promises to Abraham to Israel, to all of the tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, to David, that 
the, we're going to get, the nations are going to get around, and Rahab is the representative of this in this moment. This narrative that's going to continue to play. She's outside the camp. This wouldn't have offended her. For most of us, if we're really honest, we'd be like, well, why risk so much and I did so much? Why can't I live in the middle of the camp with everybody else? No, Rahab understands. She understands that that God has a promise and that he's keeping his promise and she's not fighting that promise and trying to get some for herself. She's just so excited. She gets to be a part of it that she knows that she deserved death. She knows that she has no right to know this God, that she was a prostitute. She was a mess. She was a Canaanite, a wicked woman worshiping false gods, that she deserved death and she cried out for mercy. And God said, I'd love to have you around me. I'd love to have you with my people. Just here's your place right here. This is yours. She didn't argue. She didn't fight. She didn't get jealous. She celebrated that she just got to be a part. That's how all of us who aren't Jews should be. We should recognize the Bible says that we've been grafted into all the covenants of God, that we are a part of his precious promises, not because of anything we've done to earn it, but because God's grace, that we responded to the truth about the death we deserve, the sins that we've committed, the rebellious and idolatrous hearts we have, that we said we're not worthy, but we believe that there's a God who, will, who has promised to save anyone who will call out to his name. And so we call out for Yahweh to save, Jesus, Joshua. And God says, that's what I'm looking for. This is a beautiful picture for us in this chapter. And he saves her whole family. It goes on in chapter 6 and verse 24. It says, they burned up the city and everything in it. That's Jericho. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. They still call her Rahab the prostitute, the wide prostitute. I mean, wow. You see, God's not afraid to mention our sin because he's going to redeem it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to, Yahweh saves, but he's referred to as the slain lamb. That's how we're going to know him, the lamb that was slain. And then we're going to think, why was the lamb slain? Oh yeah, for our sins. Because I was a prostitute. I was a sinner. I was a liar. I was a murderer in my heart. I was an idolatrous. I was a rebel. Like he says, Rahab the prostitute. Like I'm not going to be afraid to be labeled those things because that's not my identity. My identity is in his promise that he's given that I'm his child. And it goes on, her father's household and all belonged to her, who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho. And then look at this last phrase in verse 25. It says, and she lives in Israel to this day. She's been faithful to this day, to the decision to follow Yahweh who saves and follow Yahweh. She still, when they wrote the book of Joshua, they said, and Rahab's still alive today, living faithfully, loving her God, no longer practicing prostitution, no longer worshiping those false gods. She is a surrendered woman. And man, we, wow, that's how it should be. And God will include anyone in his family. He'll give anyone a place at the table. He's got more lands than you can imagine. We don't need to covet Jerusalem. We don't need to covet the the places that have been given. We can be content with what God gives us. And that's Rahab. 
Everyone around the world would have sought protection in Jericho's walls in those lands. They would have come thinking, Jericho can save us. Look how strong they are. And then looked at the Israelites who are in tents. Literally, they're living in tents. Their their worship center is a tent. Who looks the strongest? Well, man, Jericho's got double walls, looks really strong. And yet God brings the victory through the people who believe that their lives are temporary. They're living in temporary tabernacles or tents. What an incredible lasting faith for Rahab to leave the security, the seeming security of this city and her lifestyle and her influence probably and say, you know what? None of that matters if I don't have the true God of the universe who made the stars in the heavens, she said. See, that's where we are today. It's the same place. In Hebrews 11, it's interesting because Rahab's mentioned in the New Testament multiple times. She is someone that's looked at in the Old Testament as a, as a picture, as a model. In Hebrews 11, when God is giving the chapter on the most faithful people to ever live that responded to him, that he, he had a relationship with, look at what it says. By faith, Moses instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled by the Israelites for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed the promise, disobeyed faith. And what more can I say? The writer of Hebrews says, time is too short. Listen, God goes from Moses skips Joshua, skips Joshua, and goes directly to Rahab. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. He he goes directly to Rahab. That should amaze us. That Joshua gets skipped over, that he he goes to Rahab as the amazing thing. Like, Like, look at Rahab. She is an example of faith. Well, Joshua was an example of faith too. Why didn't he get mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11? His name even means Yahweh who saves. His name is even Jesus. And he doesn't get mentioned, but Rahab, the wide prostitute, does. You see, that's God. He's looking for faith. He'll use anyone that will place their faith in him and stop trusting in the things of this world. He doesn't mention Joshua. Was Joshua not faithful? No, he was faithful. But it's interesting that he mentions Rahab and then he stops and says, well, there's so many more I could share about, but I wanted to be sure I got Rahab in there. What? That is amazing. And then he says in verse 39, all those, Hebrews 11, 39, all those were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. He says, there is an ultimate inheritance. I know there is a world of panic that's out there. Moses was panicked at one point. Abraham was panicked at one point. Everybody has these emotions and panic, but there is a promise that we haven't received yet. And we can trust in that promise, just like Joshua and these spies and Rahab were trusting in a promise that hadn't happened yet. Jericho hadn't fallen yet. They were believing that God was going to uphold his promises. And we can believe that too, when we read the New Testament, and that Christ, who was the ultimate Joshua, the final Joshua, the fulfillment of the promise, is going to bring his new promised land one day and fulfill it all, where there will be no fear and no panic ever again.
Man, what a picture that he would mention Rahab right after Moses in this story. In James chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. God says, look, there is this promise that's out there that we can go to, but faith is isn't something we just claim with our mouth. Isn't something we just believe with our head. Faith is something that changes our actions, just like it changed Rahab's actions. It changed her entire lifestyle. It changed everything about how she was going to do life forever. And God says, it's worth it. And James says, are you foolish to think that you can just claim something and it not change you? If you truly believe the promises of God, it will change you. And it's not useless. It'll do everything. You'll see amazing things because of who God is. And you're not justified by your works. See, we're justified by what Yahweh saves, what Jesus did on our behalf by his faith, by his faithfulness that he showed on earth when he never sinned and he was faithful all the way, even to death on a cross. He gave his life for our life like the spies said they would for Rahab. And it's faith in that that brings our justification. But our response to that justification is to just say, thank you. I'll do whatever you want. I'll live outside the camp. I'll, man, whatever you want, I'm in. Because man, there's, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the wilderness. I'm not going back to slavery. I'm not going back to those idols. I'm done. I want you. I want the promises that are associated with knowing you. And I'm not trying to get the promises. I'm trying to get the promiser. You are the promiser. And if I have you, then all the promises are connected to you. And I can just be patient and love you and wait and know that someday it'll all work out. And that's exactly what these scriptures lay out. You see, we we love to tote that we believe But it's another thing to enjoy ordering our lives around those beliefs like it said Rahab did, and she was still with the people up until that day. And listen, everything in Rahab's life is going to change. Not just all of her religion and her occupation and her finances and how she does life, but I want to take you to the ultimate change, that through Rahab, God shows how wide His grace and His love is. For mankind. He shows how wide his promises are for those who believe. If you turn to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 1, this is talking about the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior, the Yahweh who saves. It says the historical record of Jesus Christ. That means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, the son of David. That means the promised king who's going to come to reign, the son of Abraham. Now he's going all the way back to the promise. From Abraham to David, all the promises contained there, every promise. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez, and if you remember Perez, Perez was fathered through Tamar. That that was a bad deal. You can go back and read that. Tamar, basically Judah used Tamar as a prostitute. And God used that in the lineage of bringing his son into the world. Listen, God doesn't use perfect people. God perfects people for his use. Judah was no perfect man and neither was Perez's birth. He was brought into the world under some terrible things. And it says, And Zarath by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, 
Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Amenibdad. Amenibdad fathered Nahashan. Nahashan fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. That's David and Goliath. Rahab. God has the tribe of Judah and Solomon, and it's said that, that the Messiah would come from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mary, Rahab, the prostitute, who then has Boaz, and isn't it interesting that Boaz marries Ruth, who is an outside Moabite woman who converts to, Is- to become an Israelite. And he has mercy on Ruth. Why? Because his mom wasn't one of the chosen. She was one of the outsiders that was allowed to come in. And so when he saw Ruth, can you imagine the reminders that Boaz would have in his love for Ruth to see what God had been reminded of what God had done through his mother? Guys, God's story is for those of us who need promises, for those of us who are panicked, for those of us who don't think there's hope. God uses all of this to show us that His grace is wide. He wants to love us and that His promises do require us to surrender to Him, but they're precious. And the parallel between this is amazing. None of this was by chance. It wasn't by chance those those spies found their way to Rahab's house. God had plans for Rahab from the beginning of time. God was laying out this plan so that all of the nations, all of the world could see his promises. And Jesus came to earth through some crazy circumstances, through a lot of mess, because God wanted to show that humanity is messed up, but I can be your God. Christ was 100% human, suffered all the things the human suffered, and he was 100% God, and he became the perfect sacrifice that we could never be for one another, that no lamb could be for us, but that all of those little pictures of sacrifice, these spies giving their lives, Rahab risking her life, Solomon, uh, Solomon giving his life to Rahab, all of these little pictures that we have are just a bigger picture of Yahweh who saves, our God who is awesome and his precious promises. Can I just encourage you this morning that Jesus came because he is the ultimate one who saves, that we have a choice to make in the midst of the panic of our life, or maybe we're not panicked, we think things are great, and then all of a sudden panic hits one day. He's asking, will you surrender? Will you surrender to worship me? Will you at least maybe run away? Will you deal with some stuff and at least surrender your land to me? Or will you fight me? Because one day you're going to have to stand before me and my judgment's going to come. And I'm going to look at those who have a rebellious heart and look at those who have idolatry of the heart and say, I, I don't know you. you don't, we don't know each other. There's no relationship. You've stood against my promises. You don't want that. I don't want that. God offers 
offers his precious promises to us that we can trust him and his word has been perfectly preserved for us so that we can know his promises and believe in him. To believe that there is inheritance. There is an inheritance that's coming one day that Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He paid the price to be the ultimate sacrifice, the death that we deserve, that Rahab knew that she deserved. He paid that price. He came back to life to show us that that we would come back to life in a new body. He ascended to heaven. He sent back the Holy Spirit and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you to take you to where I am. That's exactly what they did for Rahab. They went to Jericho. They destroyed the city and they brought Rahab back to where they were because they loved her and she loved their God. You can make that decision today to trust his promise that he'll love you regardless of what you've been through. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the evil that you've done like Rahab. It doesn't matter the mess you've created. God offers his promises by faith. And all you have to do is pray and say, God, by faith, I invite you to come in and for you to be Lord to be the one who saves. I'm not going to look to anyone else anymore to save, anything else to save. I look to you, Lord. Come in, change me, and I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to do whatever you ask. And when I fail, I'll confess, I'll ask forgiveness, and know that your promise is true, that you love me and you will never leave me or forsake me. Not because of what I do, but because of who you are and my faith in you. We pray. Amen. I hope this message has encouraged you. If it has, I encourage you to Maybe send it to someone else for them to hear in this time where we struggle, this time of racial divide where we see a racial divide here, this time of division on how we act in the midst of the mess and the panic that we have around us. Maybe this is something a friend needs to hear, and I hope it was something you needed to hear today. We'll pick up our story next week again in Joshua as they cross over the Jordan River and a miracle happens, and then they dedicate themselves to the service of God. Thanks for joining us here at FX Church. We'll see you next week.